0: This is Broad Radio, for you, by you.
3: Broad Radio, here for more.
0: Hello and welcome to Broad Radio On The Go. You might not have been here before... If you have and you would love to give us a little rating on Apple Podcasts, we would really love that because it helps spread the word on what we're doing. You can also share it with your friends, pop it on your social media, help us out that way as well. And we will love you for it. I mean, we already love you. Like. You know, don't worry about that. In this episode, there is more love, love for pets, and we try to get inside the heads of those pets with uh, Jackie Lay. She is someone that has studied how pets think her whole life. I mean, it's hard enough to figure out what people are thinking, isn't it, really? But before that, Joe and Annie Louie talk about competitiveness reward for effort, and talk to Victorian Minister Ros Spence about a new initiative trying to get more access to sporting facilities for everyone in the community.
4: All right, so uh, Annie, we've established that you're a Bomber supporter. Mm. That's okay; not, won't hold it against you. <laughs> um,
5: there was a point in my life where I had to choose because my primary school only went for Collingwood or Essendon, uh, and it was like yeah. uh, a very. It was only because we went to Windy Hill and met the players, and I was convinced. <gasps> so if the trip had gone a different way; we'd be on the same side. That's why they do the school visits. It's true you it's know? propaganda for, for the children. Totally <laughs> yeah. is get them in really <laughs> yeah. early when they're fresh. Yes. they're <laughs> very impressionable. Mm. Um, are you a competitive person? Um, I would say very much so. Even if I try to downplay it. What mm. about you? Um, I would say I'm not, except against my husband. Oh,
4: what yeah. about your daughter? Uh, no, I didn't. I, no, I don't have a need to beat her.
5: <laughs> yeah. She's a child. Yeah. What about other children? <laughs>
4: What are you leading into here, Annie?
5: What have you done? Just laying a trap to see if I can catch you. (laughs) What have you done? Well, you know, I think sometimes if I was, think back to when I was a kid, I would hate it if the adults were um, playing too easy on me. Like I would have drawing competitions with my mum and I'd make my dad judge and I'd be like, no, truthfully, you have to say whose drawing is better. Mm, Yeah. So, you know, I Uh, would say don't go easy on the kids.
4: I think that's kind of... I'm in the school of hard knocks. you got to yeah. understand that perhaps life isn't always you winning. And certainly I remember growing up and my we would play Yahtzee with my nana, mm. right, which is my favourite board game because it's all up to chance yeah. pretty much. Oh, yeah. Right, You can strategize a little bit, mm. but it's the role of the dice. But my nana would cheat to oh. beat the grandkids. Oh.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I love I want that. I granny. I know. Yeah. I'd
4: be mean, like, gosh, how competitive do you want to be? Whereas now I'm like, we do let children win perhaps mm. where perhaps we don't really. Yes. It's not a favour to them. Yes. They need to learn that life is about yes. losing. Some
5: argue there's too many participation awards these days.
4: I uh, yes. need to learn the hard way. Yeah, I, I kind of do agree with that. But in, But effort... Reward mm. for effort, yes, effort most yes. improved.
5: I think that is a good award, yeah.
4: But in my family, I'm known for having a complete meltdown at mini golf. Oh, well, that's wow, that's an ongoing
5: thing for us, yeah. Like, how badly are you losing compared to your other I just members? think
4: that my husband is, uh, well, I think largely he's just too good. Uh, and does I get real, golf shitty about Has it. he
5: had a lot of practice? No, not really. No.
4: He's just a classic man who's good at ball yeah. sports, yeah.
5: Damn it, what a hand icon! Yeah. I recently went to Minigolf and uh, this new place opened up in Brunswick and I went and then about a week later, I had to go again because my friends, a different group of friends decided they were going to have a party there and I did not tell them that I'd already been. So I'd had already a go at the 18 holes and I knew all of the tricks and I was like, I'm not going to tell them I've come and I'm kind of cheating a little bit here. (laughs) But the results will shock you because I still came last. (laughs) How's
4: that possible? You'd had a previous run through of that particular course.
5: Yes. And still Uh, last. Still last. I was so ashamed. But there was only two points between the loser and the winner. So it was like a lot of people were tied on the same score Mm. in the middle, you know. So, I mean, I'll just have to go a third time with a different group of friends.
4: I I, I just think that, see, mini golf, it, it, it tricks you into thinking that it's all about fun because it's yeah. got all the fun little decorations yeah. and sometimes there's UV lights and you can drink while you're doing it yes, sometimes. Yeah. So it makes you think that it's fun, but it's not. Because <laughs> my husband will play really, really competitively and then I get really, you uh, know, it shits yeah. me that he have always wins. Have you been wins. to those outdoor ones? Yeah, the, yeah. the, yes, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the outdoor ones yeah. are
5: good, yeah. Mm. Except they're often on the side of a highway, so frequently <laughs> my balls have gone over into, next to a piece of roadkill. Well <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Often on the side of the highway. Yeah, you say that. The good ones are anyway. (laughs) Well, I guess they need land.
4: But that's exactly right. Yeah, they're in like in in the middle
5: of nowhere. Often, Mm. you get some fresh air in you at least. Feels like an actual sport. I don't know how much how fit you can get. You know, if you can get jacked off mini golf, doubt it. Well,
4: (laughs) I'm someone who uh, I like to think I'm not competitive, but um, perhaps when it comes to my husband, it just pisses me off that he's always always in front what are you better
5: at if he's got the ball sports nothing surely nothing (laughs) he's
4: smarter he's funnier
5: people like him more (laughs) but is he here is he doing this right now
4: i don't think so that's true um in a moment we're going to be talking fair access for women and girls in sport with minister ross spence that's after this Well, one of the reasons I absolutely love AFLW is because my daughter plays footy. She's in Mm -hmm. the under 13s. And for her, seeing women reach that highest elite level of sport She just loves this and it's very inspirational to her. But while the IFLW has removed one barrier to equal access and participation for women and girls, there are many more barriers, many of them in community sport. And that's why the Victorian State Government is doing something about it. It's a fantastic new policy. And to tell us more about this groundbreaking approach to achieving fair access for women and girls, we're thrilled to welcome Minister for Community Sport, Minister Ros Spence.
3: Good morning. Good morning Joe.
4: Good morning Annie. Morning. Uh, before we get to the landmark policy, a little birdie tells me that you also are a Collingwood supporter, Roz. I absolutely am a
3: very happy Do. Collingwood supporter. You know what makes
4: us public enemy number one?
3: <laughs> yes, but I'm also a, a politician so I'm used to that. that.
4: <laughs> you must have a very thick skin. <laughs> So I am very entrenched in community sport because um, of my daughter. It's absolutely critical to her. She's a very introverted little person, but she walks taller because she is involved in sport and has that sense of team spirit and knowing how to push herself into a game. It's really changed her life, but participating, Participation isn't always as simple as just signing up for a club, right? Which is why you and the Office for Women and Sport and Rec have launched this fair
3: access policy roadmap. Can you tell us about the policy? Sure, thanks John. That's really great to hear that your daughter is benefiting so much from participating in sport. What the Fair Access Policy Roadmap does is it supports local councils and sport and rec organisations to develop gender equity access and use policies to make sure that publicly owned community sports infrastructure are being used by everyone in the community so that there is fair access by everyone in the community. That's a significant change. It's making sure that the the use is fair, that there is equity. And we haven't always had that.
4: Yeah, so, you know, we hear stories about girls having to change in the car or, you know, I have observed sometimes that my daughter's footy games maybe aren't always, I mean, they're almost always at the end of the day. Um, You know, there's sorts of lots of examples where access isn't fair, isn't there?
3: that's right and so what this does is it has local councils look at all of their facilities have a look and say okay is access to this facility each and every one of them fair can there be more uh, equity in how this is being used. Can women and girls have better access to this facility? Not just in regard to change rooms, but also the use of, of the actual facilities. Can they have better use of courts or fields? Can they um, have better timetabling? And then what needs to be done to implement those changes? So it's really across the board to provide that access.
5: Why is it that it's taken so long to get to this point?
3: This is a, it's an historical problem. I mean, we know that uh, participation by women and girls has really surged recently, and historically facilities haven't really been, um, well, they haven't been designed to cater for women and girls. We need to change that. We need to do it now. I go to many of these facilities that are being upgraded. We're doing a lot of work in upgrading facilities. Um, You know, since 2018, there's been over 200 female-friendly specific upgrades, over $60 million just on those. And I go to many before and after, and it is quite phenomenal, uh, the changes and how thrilled women are and the stories that they tell me about, as Joe said, the getting changed in the car or worse, not getting changed at all mm-hmm. and just staying in your uniform uh, and waiting until you get home. It's taken too long. And what women tell me is they want the next generation to not even know that this was a problem. Yeah, because it speaks to how much you're valued at the club, doesn't it? Absolutely it does. It speaks to how much you're valued and it speaks to how much uh, we want to see you be your best. Mm. You've just had a conversation about AFLW and how we've now got the full suite of teams and that is fantastic. But if we want to see that pipeline continue, there has to be that development. And this goes across all sports and all codes. We've got the Commonwealth Games coming. We need to have we need to have our tomorrow's champions supported across the state in all sports, and we can't do that if half of our population has barriers to simply participating by virtue of not having access to the best courts, the best fields, and at reasonable times. I think too, though um, clubs traditionally
4: have been sort of. There have been men who are kind of the managers, the club and team managers, and the women are always their incredible backbone of these clubs, right? They're they're the ones feeding the players and running the canteen and doing all this sort of stuff. But the decision makers often are men and perhaps didn't even realise the impact of this.
3: I think you're right. And a lot of work is also being done in making sure that women recognise there are opportunities, not only in... um, in the player and volunteer roles, but also in administration and organisation roles. And the Office for Women in Sport and Recreation has a number of programs supporting that. And we're really trying to encourage more women to take on those leadership roles. And even this roadmap, there's principles in that to encourage support for women right through from spectator to administrator mm. so we, we really want to make sure that women and girls are valued at the club in all levels that they're they're visible and they're acknowledged and they're supported
5: mm. that's a great point I feel very included I'm a cyclist myself and I rarely see Uh, women's clubs around or trying to find a women's group ride to join. Often it's just not there so you end up just going with the men and getting dropped as they say which means like if you get dropped you just have to go home. Oh, what? (laughs) Yeah, I would love to see more women take up cycling and like, you know, form a little girl gang because like, yeah, sometimes it's not about being the best, like I just want to make friends,
4: yes, and to participate mm-hmm. and, and to sort of find ways of, of moving your body and staying fit, and mm. uh, yeah, yeah, making mm. friends so important.
3: Um, so, how does the roadmap work? Well, there's three stages and at, at the at the moment we're doing education and that's where councils and sporting organisations work with the Office for Women in Sport and Recreation and learn about um, what needs to be done, how to do the assessments on facilities, what they can take into consideration in developing a plan. And that's, you know, that that's really terrific and that'll go for a while. The next key step is from the 1st of July 2024, when councils will need to have in place gender um, gender equitable access to be able to access Victorian government funds for infrastructure. So that's a real incentive piece. Um, and I think well, that's when we'll see uh, key change, mm-hmm. really, across the sector. Is, yes.
5: it, is it up to the councils at the moment to do that? Do we, If we have feedback about a particular facility, is there a way to communicate that to councils?
3: Well, councils have been involved in developing this roadmap and I'm really encouraged that they've been supportive of this. They've welcomed this. Um, We've had really good feedback from councils and we work with councils now to develop their facilities. Um, the, The female friendly facilities fund that I spoke of before, that's developing facilities in partnership with councils. So, you know, we already do a lot of this work. Um, it's continuing the work that we have been doing. So there's there's really three key um, key issues that councils can be working on. One is that, yes, there will be a great need for new facilities and that's that can be expensive and we assist with that. And we have been, and we will continue to do so. But it's also those more practical, um, practical measures like the use of courts and the use of fields and the timetabling issue and that's where they need to be working with their clubs to make sure that facilities are being used equitably.
4: Mm. And because you can't work miracles there has been a surge of female p- participation so you, you know it's about supporting the clubs to do it right it's not like uh, demonising anybody.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And we're just talking about fairness. We're not mm. talking about anyone's doing the wrong thing. We know there's been a surge, but there needs to be a reset.
4: Yes. It's exciting to imagine that this generation of women, young women and girls we might see in the Commonwealth Games in four years' time.
3: Absolutely. And, and a lot of our young people who are participating in community sport are going to get a real buzz out of the Commonwealth Games and, and hopefully they can participate in some of the volunteering opportunities and be around the Commonwealth Games and get that, um, get that burst of motivation to go further in their sporting careers.
4: Yeah. Well, Minister, I do believe that um, Victoria is really um, at the forefront of participation and of really um, encouraging and assisting women and girls to uh, involve themselves in sport and participation and we know how critical that is to mental health and Ooh. to not just physical health but just a sense of community and and your place in the world mm. absolutely critical
3: absolutely it is this is about physical well-being mental well-being but also the benefits for the community as a whole now given how visible community sport is if equity and fairness is seen at a community sport level the benefits of that for the whole community is massive Mm, it's a great example setter to have equity and fairness shown in community
4: sport absolutely I'm passionate about participation and uh, Minister I know that you and I have a connection outside of what we're talking about here
3: we do, and I, I do have a, a, an announcement to make. And thank you, Joe. And I really am so very pleased to announce that that Joe, you have been chosen as the ambassador for Get Active Week, which is going to run this year. Congratulations! From the, yeah, congratulations! <laughs> from the fifth to the eleventh of September, and that's going to be a great week. We're really encouraging Victorians to do thirty minutes of physical activity every day regardless of their age their ability or their location so i know that you're going to be a terrific inspiration and motivation to get victorians active throughout that campaign what, and are, you really gonna, look forward what are you going
4: to get up to joe well look it's all about the fact and i love this when I, when someone told me this a couple of years ago it changed my life we're supposed to have 30 minutes of activity a day right but you don't have to do it all in one you can that's do nice. 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. And I was like, what? <laughs> Cause I always thought if I can't do my 30, there's no point in even trying. Oh. But now I'm like, oh, okay. So I can, uh, one of the things we're saying in this campaign, do it in your incidental moments. Yeah. So it's a lot of it is nothing. like, I will take my shopping trolley rather than, I mean, I'll take a basket instead of a trolley, <laughs> Imagine you right? scooting
5: around, like riding on, <laughs> that's not exercise No, no, joke. no. But like if
4: I'm carrying a basket instead of, a, you know, pushing a trolley, it's that kind of stuff, which. I love because I'm so busy and also when I'm not busy I'm lazy so (laughs) I just love it it's really I'm I'm really stoked to be selected thanks so much Roz.
3: No that's great I look forward to working with you on that one.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, um, the Office for uh, Women in, in Sport and Recreation do incredible things. We just had Sasha Doherty on who's come through the in, that amazing program, um, which is uh, Change the Game, uh, Making the Call program. So we're getting women and girls into sport media as well, which is just, oh, my
3: God, amazing. Love it, Roz. It's fantastic. There's great work going on, fantastic changes taking place, and it's wonderful to see and hear the the women all throughout sports Um, it's just terrific yeah
4: fantastic well thank you so much for joining us i know you're super busy but it's been wonderful to uh, really take a deep dive into this great fair access policy and congratulations on it it's really wonderful
3: thanks for having me on broad radio here for more
4: we were actually, in that moment, um, apparently lucky that we didn't see four cats appear over Ross's shoulder. We were warned
5: there might be a few visitors.
4: <laughs> yes, she's got four rescue cats, which I just think is uh, truly an extraordinary—it's um, an extraordinary yeah. commitment. Uh, we do have our next guest joining us, and she's there because uh, that, I bring that up because she is going to be deep diving into. Our furry and sometimes scaly friends, Uh, we've had (laughs) Katrina the snake on our show previously. We've had dogs and cats and uh, we are pretty much ruled by animals in this world, I think. Certainly I am. And in part, I think, because we don't really know what they're thinking and we spend a lot of our time mm. going, why? Why are you behaving in this way? <laughs> so it's very thrilling to welcome to the show animal behavioralist specialist and vet, Dr. Jackie Lay. Hi, Jackie. Hello, welcome. How are you? Yes, really well. So the premise of this conversation, I think, is that we have this bond with our pets, right, and we assume that they understand us and we understand them. But often that bond kind of falls over and I, and we, we question whether the, the bond is real or whether they're just there for food and shelter. <laughs> is
6: there actually a bond between human and animal? Yes, there is a bond. I think species that we keep, that's a lot of them are social. So they're not only here for the, the food and the warm space, but it's also for the social interaction. Um, so um, our dogs want to be with us because we make them feel good. So if your dog wants to hang around you, if your cat wants to hang around you, if your bird is, is sort of tweeting in, in greeting when you arrive home, um, and, you know, the, the reptiles are also... They're quite an active group of animals, so they will recognise their regular handlers and they will uh, show behaviours that indicate that it's like, hey, I know you, Um, you bring good stuff, it's nice to hang around with you. So, yes, the bond is very much on our side, but I think that the animals bond from their side as well. Hmm. That's... So, but...
4: What's interesting to me around your comment there is... I feel like a are, hard-hitting question well, is no, about to drop. Well, no, because are they... We think that they are really devoted to us, but surely they would feel that way to any human, that it's not specifically us.
6: Well, it, it depends upon the animal. So I've certainly met dogs who are very... Um, or dare I Catholic Catholic um, in their uh, appreciation of people type of dog that and and acts like you're their long lost very best friend that they never knew that they didn't have Um, and they're very happy to meet you but there are other animals who are very much you know these are the people that I'm familiar with and thank you very much but I don't want to talk to you so the animals have their different personalities in the the species and within the breeds. Um, So they're not all the same. They're not carbon copies. Mm. This internet is not being our friend today, unfortunately.
4: Yeah, a bit of lag there. Yeah,
5: that's that's a shame. I wanted to ask a question because recently I have returned to some friends' houses and it's been a long time and I see their pets, like their dogs, Mm. and I wonder if they remember me. Like do you think your animals remember guests from like years ago?
4: Well, so my dog... Definitely
5: recognises
4: certain friends that visit the house. Like she's a Labrador and she gets very excited mm. about certain people. But exactly what Jackie, there she is there. She's oh. looking at her, look at Daisy, downward dog and oh. the yoga mat. Um, but she does um, exactly what Jackie was saying there. She will behave towards every single person in the same yeah. way because she's desperate for love. Like she's an absolute... <laughs> She's very uh, keen just for any kind yeah, of attention, right. right?
5: Not just food motivated, but like, you know, oh, love just motivated. Just
4: give me attention uh, and love.
5: And she'll take that from anyone. Uh, I see why you're a bit insecure so now about the see- <laughs> At any like, moment, she could just walk off with a stranger. That's
4: exactly right. I feel like she's just very needy and mm. she'll take it from anyone, yeah. basically. And she behaves as though she doesn't get any love at home when really she is basically doted on and is the ruler of the house. she walk
5: into RSPCA being like, help me. Oh, my
4: God. That's it. I've been so neglected. But in actual fact, yeah, she's the ruler of the house. Whereas cats, they traditionally are different, aren't they? Mm. You yeah, I,
5: don't, I have no idea what they're thinking, genuinely. They're very hard to read. Like, do you oh. do you remember me? Do you remember me by smell? Or like, you know, we had some great times together, but well, does that mean nothing? Do you know, we had a, our
4: beautiful cat Kenny got stolen and he was stolen? missing for five months. And oh. then we had a Christmas miracle that he was returned, right? Yeah. And so the, the vet who, um, he was sort of returned to a, uh, he was living under a golf course yeah. clubhouse <laughs> and was basically almost feral. They had oh, to no. trap him yeah. in a cat trap and took him to the vet and microchipped him and he came. They rang us mm. and said, oh, your cat's here and uh, he's, you know, pretty feral, so you better come and get him. And my husband went and when he got there, they said, oh, he no one can approach him, oh. right? Um, and my husband walked in and he literally appeared from the back of the cage and walked yeah. straight up to him and remembered him and was smoochy oh. and gorgeous and but no one else could wow. have even picked okay, him up. Okay, your
5: husband really is good at everything. He's Doctor <laughs> Doolittle as well. He's out there rescuing cats. <laughs> You're
4: so right. But that was more testament to the fact that I do think cats have a bond with you. Oh, that's
5: good to know. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. But then they say traditionally that cats will go, and they've done research mm. that cats do like to go to the and to the people that hate them the most.
5: Oh. Maybe I'm a magnet for those cats then too. Do yeah. they come to you? Uh, yeah, I'm generally like, I believe animals can sense your aura. Like, you know, are you in a panic state? Like apparently, you know, even like wasps and bees and stuff can sense like your if we got the sweats. So right. yeah, I went to like a bee farm one time and the man wasn't even wearing a suit because he's like so relaxed around oh bees. My God. So, but I had to wear one and they're like, even then they can smell your pheromones. So I've kind of believe that for other animals. So often I think they pick up on my calm nature and they're happy to approach. And there was a, um, a poodle I was playing with last weekend and the, Owner's theory was that uh, the poodle came from a farm that lo- it just loved children because they were the only ones that would give the poodle attention, right. and basically the poodle thought I was a big kid. Okay, but that <laughs> poodle loved you. Yeah, loved me. I think I don't know if it's it's my small size and uh, yeah. <laughs>
4: And your pheromones. Yeah, my pheromones. You're giving up all all sorts of poodle
5: loving yeah, pheromones. Poodle. Yeah, yeah, That's right.
4: I don't know. Have we got? Uh, have we had any luck with Jackie rejoining? We had so many
5: questions as oh well. Oh my gosh,
4: we have so many. We've got listeners calling in with like messaging there. Um, so you had a
5: bird I did right. growing up it was a bit of a rescue bird it had uh it was a scaly-breasted lorikeet that came into our garden a bit injured and mm. so we took it to the vet and they said yeah like if you'd like you can keep it as a as a pet and you can nurse it back to health and we did and then it could talk and yeah it like sang it- songs it, its name was Sparky so it could actually say its own name it could say hello um right. yeah it could talk to my dad he taught it quite a few phrases back at home so yeah we'd let it fly around the house and he'd get his little (laughs) playtime. amazing so does a bird give affection i think they do
4: i think jackie's back and we can ask her here she is hi jackie (laughs) it's so great to see you again there's the question a first question to you can can birds give affection
6: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so it's it's one of the big problems actually that we have with um, birds, especially the parrots, because uh, they they tend to be the, the birds that we keep as our companion birds and, and have more contact with mm. them. The problem is, is that because we are um, related to monkeys, we're primates, we like to hug and hold. Um, things that we're interested in, the problem is, is that if you sort of touch a bird on more of its body, the message that you're giving is, I want to make eggs with you. Um, so oh, can wow, lead to a bit of confusion <laughs> in the, in the a lot. mind, and and especially if some of these animals have been hand-raised, then they also have a mixed-up view of they should be looking for as a... Um, and our Australian birds are, are even more complicated because they have a very, very long Um, Childhood, where they spend, they should be spending hanging out with with other birds and and learning, you know, what personalities they like and what they like to do. So when they're raised by humans and so that's all they know and they kind of go, well, my mummy looks a bit funny and so that's what they then uh, are looking for as as companions and then those companions say, well, come here and give me a cuddle. So we can end up with some uh, pet birds that are very confused about, um, all sorts of interactions. Um, so they are a very social group of animals um, and they do build these strong bonds uh, and can be quite distressed um, if uh, their, their human is, is away from them for periods of time. So, yeah, so um, I think the emotional lives of animals are not something that we tend to really think about properly. I mean, we, we love them. Um, but we tend to then think about these animals as being like little kids Um, and so we don't necessarily meet their emotional needs as well as we could be doing. Mm.
4: Is this why we hear about dogs being depressed because their owners have to go to work or, you know, they're left for too long? Is that what's going on
6: with them? Uh, Potentially. So thinking of depression... Uh, In terms of a a mental health disorder, it's something that we're still looking to fully define. Um, And I'm suspicious that some of my patients that I see actually do have major mood disorder, uh, an an animal version of it, a a canine version of it. Um, In terms of uh, depressed as being quiet and flat and just, you know, there's, there's not much happening. Some dogs will be like that because they are Like people, they're much more into having social connection, whereas there'll be other dogs who are like, well, I've I've got my bone, I've got my my toy to play with, I've got a soft bed, um, you know, my day set and and they can cope with that. Um, So it it comes down to different personalities um, and some dogs, you know, they've got companion dogs and that's good Um, or companion cat or... (laughs) Some as a companion rabbit or guinea pig, or you know, there's, there's other things, other individuals with them for them to interact with. Um, Is it true that people, with treating yeah.
5: anxiety and depression in animals, they take the same medications that humans would?
6: Yes, yes, Tell we us more use about those medicines. <laughs> okay, um, so exactly the same as how a human mental health practitioner, um, a, a doctor, a psychiatrist, would um, take a history find out what's going on for a patient um, observe that patient um, and be looking for particular uh, aspects and changes in their demeanor Um, we do the same thing and based on that information we can make a diagnosis which then allows us as part of a whole treatment plan work out what potentially is going to be useful medication for them. So uh, if people are worried that, you know, if their dog's having behaviour problems, the the vet's just going to go throw medicine at them, Um, it it doesn't work like that. It's it's Mm. actually part of the That's amazing.
5: They're like, they need those six sessions from Medicare and they can (laughs) claim back. (laughs)
6: That that would be lovely. There's lots of people saying, yes, please, let's have that. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, we use the same medicines because the the parts of the brain the uh, neurochemicals inside the brain are the same Mm. Um, what I find really fascinating is that a lot of the research that's done to actually understand human brains is done in animals um, and then it's extrapolated and and tested to see if it works in people and then myself and my colleagues we're going well we're going to take that information (laughs) back to animals again I love that. Gotcha. I have cool. a couple of
4: quick questions for you from uh, people who have shared them on our socials over the week. Um, one asking, uh, I want to be able to keep my new chairs and couch nice. Good luck. Don't have a pet <laughs> at all is my opinion. But anyway, um, and yes. keep keep our, our uh, new to us one-year-old cat. Is it realistic to expect we can train him not to scratch up our things? Surely that's impossible. Uh. <laughs>
6: Well, it's a little bit of planning involved, all right. So, um, what you've got to do is say is, is recognize that cats will scratch. Uh, mm. It's a normal behavior for them to do. It's part of um, of keeping their nails nice, all right. Because when they scratch, they actually strip the sheaths off the nails, and they've got nice new sharp ones again. Um, we think there can be a communication um, part to it. So, recognize that cats are going to scratch. Um, That are along major pathways in the house. Ah. So if you've got to walk past your couch to get to different a different part of the house, so it's a throughfare, then what you need to be doing is putting something for the cat to scratch at the ends of the couch.
5: I right? love oh, that's that. That's amazing. It's like feng shui for cats. Like it's about her, Like the yeah. way the energy
3: moves. I like it too moving? because
4: I've always thought my cat was uh, like it was very performative, like she had to yep. scratch in front of
6: you, like everybody, I'm scratching
4: now. <laughs> but it's only because that's where we're walking.
6: Yeah. So the thing is that um, uh, and, and cat towers are becoming quite sophisticated So um, there's a good chance you can get something that you can live with um, Mm -hmm. uh, and and pop it in that area. So you want it to be where the cat is going to be wanting to give messages. Now, the the other thing is is also recognising that bigger, more sturdier. uh, Have I frozen again? No, no, you're there. Yep. Uh, A bigger, sturdier cat tower than you might have thought of because cats are really big when they stretch especially if it's a boy cat um, some cats like to use a horizontal surface so poles that are all upright may not be good enough you might want um, something that you can lie down flat um, there's also a product called filly scratch um, which can be used to apply to a cat scratching folder say to cats come scratch on this so talk to your vet, um, they can get that for you. Um, so, and, and then the last thing is that make your couch unattractive. Um, so it may take, mean sort of putting some alfoil or plastic around <laughs> <and> <here laughs>
3: the couch.
6: It's, it's, who is it unattractive to? I think
5: other humans. I can just sit on my alfoil <laughs> couch.
6: <laughs> i not on the seat. But round the edges, you know, on fabric, it can work quite well. I love it. Um,
4: Um, What I love too is that you're highlighting that animals have personalities, right? So we've got a question here. I want to know if huskies are really sassier than most other dogs, Mm. but is it just that person's husky?
6: Um, If you took 100 huskies, we would find that, that some of them will be the polite, shy, you know, type dogs and then a percentage of them are going to be at the other end and be super sassy uh, and that most are going to be in the middle Um, that explains what's happening
5: with my hundred huskies
6: (laughs) (laughs) they're all doing different things so the, the problem is though that that um and of course the the dogs that end up on the socials and um they're the sassy ones because they're fun you know they they kind of look at you and they go like you know what do you mean by that and huskies (laughs) especially great eyebrows um, very expressive yeah and and they as a group on average i think that they're probably a bit chattier but it's It's like the difference between, you know, if we took 100 Caucasian people or 100 people of Asian descent or, or, you know, different nationalities, we're going to find the gamut. Um, And the thing that I find interesting is that the breeds of dogs, they're genetically, the differences between them are about the same as the differences between different races of people. So they're... You know the differences between people um, are not as big as as um, Mm. people think, and it's the same.
5: What was the the breed that just barked? Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know.
6: Um, It's a small dog, um, by the sound of it. Because I'm in the clinic. Um, it's probably a dermatology patient
4: Um, (laughs) i do love that you can identify a small dog bark because they're so yappy, aren't they and little dogs seem to have so much more aggression than large dogs sometimes
6: yeah it's it's interesting because um um, my phd was looking at personality in dogs and, and one of the things we looked at was is there a difference if they're a big dog or a little dog Um, And there is a little bit of evidence and and some other researchers have also found that little dogs tend to be more reactive and more responsive to their world. Um, So whether or not um, that's an observational sort of opinion um or, or research or more owner opinion uh that may depend um but i think also that the little dogs they travel through life a bit faster i mean they take many more steps than big dogs and people <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's, so cute. So it's a good theory a
6: bit, a bit faster um, and they also got because they've got the smaller voice boxes they have the higher pitch bark which tends to cut through a bit more than mm. a, a big dog yeah um, and some of our big dogs, you know, they're, they're, the reason they're big is that they have gigantism um, and so, you know, it tends to slow everything down and, and uh, potentially make them a, a bit less reactive. But oh, yeah. um, when you get a big dog moving fast, um, I think I take a little dog moving fast any day. So. Oh,
4: true, true. Um, so uh, what about what about stereotypes about the fact that cats actually... Really dislike humans, and we are servants to them as, <laughs> as to Dogs being servants to us.
6: Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I'm I'm actually in the process of of finishing up a, a textbook uh, about feline psych- psychiatry. Um, and um, one of the chapter titles I toyed with, uh, you know, was uh, "Cats: uh, Are They Gods or Just Misunderstood?" <laughs> um, so I, I think the thing is that they're so different from dogs. So you know, in our in our culture, we say dogs and cats, but cats are very different from dogs. They have a different biological history. They have had a different domestication history. Um, They're an animal that uh, in Australia, we tend to think of very much as a predator, but it's also an animal that gets preyed upon. So you've got to be really careful because if you go, ha ha, catch that mouse, you might also get picked up by an eagle or a baboon. So you've got to be a bit careful. They're also an animal that does a lot of things that we do as groups. They do that by themselves. So people get together and we like to eat as a group. It's across every culture, um, society, people eat together. Cats do it by themselves because there's not a lot of sharing in one mouse or one frog or one little bird. So um, in some ways, people find them confusing because they don't do things that we enjoy doing as a group. Cats are like, I I don't want to eat all together. I want to eat over here by myself. Um, they're also they're again we're primate related, so we like to hug and cuddle and touch. And cats, are, a lot of cats learn to like it, but a lot of them are like, yeah, we've we've talked for a few minutes. Nice to see you. Um, <laughs> I like you, but I'm over here. Um, and the, the other thing that happens is again because we're. We, when we're interested in stuff, we look at it and we want to approach it, and we want to touch it, and the cat's going. I'm not sure if you what you're going to do. You're making me feel uncomfortable. You're sending me signals that that I'm interpreting as as being a bit aggressive. Um, so you know what, I'm, I'm just going to leave. Mm. Which also explains why if you don't like cats, the cat goes. Oh my God! Someone who makes me feel comfortable, I'm going to come and sit on you.
4: Ah! Oh, um,
6: if you don't like them. Well,
4: yes, I mean, uh, I think I've got a comment here from our producer actually who says my cat Purs loves me and then a second later attacks me, which I think is very common (laughs) in cats. They can be a little bit flighty, Um, but that's why I like them.
6: Yeah, it's also some of them will do, it's it's like a little bit of a love bite, you know. (laughs) I think also sometimes they can get a bit frustrated. Um, my cat comes, uh, Skittles comes and he sits up and he goes, you know, salute to the sun, give me a pat. And we pat and we talk and we pat and we talk. And I say, well, I've got to go now. And he goes, well, I'm going to thump you. Um, I think he's a bit frustrated because the, the interaction is not finishing. Oh. He would like more of it. Oh. But then also I, I think sometimes the interaction gets a little bit exciting um
5: and he's just not sure yeah. so then he's what like to do oh. do we have time oh, for one yeah. we have personal time for question? One, one okay question. i have a neighbor's cat and it loves coming uh, over to our place mm. uh like mm-hmm. after close of business hours i think that's when the owner finishes work and says off you go uh but yeah. why is it that he insists on coming in doing like a perimeter check and getting all the pats and then he'll leave and then like 20 minutes later he'll come back wanting the same like three times a night or He's something. He's not like done. That. I know. Well, I'm confused. <laughs> and like, is it okay for us to be, you know, it's obviously not our cat, but we give him pats. We don't feed him, but keep letting him in.
6: Yeah. Well, you know, in answer to the question, are animals social, do they like us? Then the only reason this cat is coming in is for the social connection. Mm. um so you know he's he's kind of checking in with you guys and sort of saying hi everything okay here There's nothing <laughs> to see here so you can almost think as you know, a little bit like the you know the coppers doing a bit of a walkthrough uh, mm. Everything's mm. Good here. okay that's good, good to know people. i like it
4: one of my favorite um uh, i think it's a reddit account is not my cat whereas you oh, see all, all these people it's so yeah. funny where well, you see people who are literally <laughs> watching tv and a cat sitting on their shoulder <laughs> just come in and no, gone, I'm gonna sit here. Right? Not my cat. Yeah. It's so funny. Um yeah, cats the you know, the you God, they're bizarre. I love yeah, it. I love
5: I'll, it. I'm Lo- posting this at yeah. Reddit accounts. Great thank you.
4: Um thank you so much for persisting with us and with your internet there, Jackie. It's been really lovely to
6: learn from you today. Thank you very much. Thanks for the invitation. So no, I nice loved it. That was fun. Yes, Thank you. you too.
4: Wow, we have gone way over time because I couldn't stop uh, asking yeah, questions. Yeah, I'm going to get
5: a parking fine from this probably, but it was worth oh, it. Oh no!
4: <laughs> oh, don't say that. Well, um, do come back. Oh, will yeah. Another time to Broad because it's been an absolute yes. delight, Annie Louie. Yes. So fun. Thank yeah. you, Joe. Can we see you perform anywhere anytime? Yeah,
5: yeah, absolutely. I'm doing Melbourne Fringe coming up in October. So I'm remounting Floating with Death, making it even better, and then yeah, we'll see what happens after that. Going to work on a new show
4: amazing well um hopefully be back with broad radio soon and we'll see you on broad radio next tuesday
2: when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer